Has anybody ever heard of the iceberg theory? The iceberg theory, or iceberg principle. Um, the ice, iceberg theory centers on this idea that there is uh, stuff above the surface and there are also things below the surface. If you think about an iceberg, right, they say there's 10% of the iceberg that can be seen, that's visible, that's above the surface. And then there's 90% of the iceberg that can't be seen and is below the iceberg. And um, this concept has grown in its fascination for me. But listen, don't, don't worry. You all know this. We've seen this in our culture to some degree. I think about back in 1992, I fell in love. I was 11. It was real love. And I fell in love with Dominique Dawes. The first African-American woman to represent the U.S. at the Olympics. And the way this iceberg principle applies is every time I got to see her perform, it was beauty. <laughs> Listen, I don't, don't talk about that bronze medal. Yes, she got bronze, but she's a gold medalist in my heart. <laughs> Amen. But every time she performed, it was like poetry in motion. But that's only 10%. That's only the visible of what we can see. The 90%, what we can't see, is the amount of sacrifice she made as a 15-year-old. The times that she didn't hang out with her friends. The times where she had to eat different things to, to make sure her body would perform at optimal. Um, these are the things we, we couldn't see. Now, when you think about the iceberg theory, there's also another part to it that I want to address. I think that 10% that's visible could also be a negative behavior. And if you think about the negative behavior, yes, it's only 10%. See, as a, as a pastor and, and working in Young Life, working with young people for a long time, uh, I have had the privilege of seeing both the 10% and the 90%. And I think about a young man named Luke, who's one of my closest guys. I love him dearly. Um, when I met him, the adults or the 10%, they would have said the 10% that they see about him is anger and violence. He had already been removed from mainstream education. He now had to, to, to try to get his diploma from an alternative way of, of getting, uh, obtaining a diploma. And what people didn't see, the 90% below the surface was, was, was the, the sadness, the hurt, the, the, the brokenness that he experienced in his household, the, the, the fear of trying to navigate a system that, that isn't flexible for black and brown boys all the time. They didn't, they didn't, you can't see that. And so this iceberg theory has really become and have grown, it has grown fascinating to me. And then I, I apply it to my own life. I think to myself, like, man, I probably, probably have been living a fragmented life. I've been just focused on the 10%, okay, whether good or bad. I've been okay in settling for the 10% and have failed to go deeper and scuba dive and look underneath my own iceberg. But listen, Renaissance, I'm probably not alone. What about you? When is the last time... You've strapped on some scuba gear, and you've looked underneath the icebergs of your own life. Have you just 
settled for the 10% being what it is? Think about this. I'm sure we all have pet peeves. Have you ever asked the question, why do they annoy you? What is it? Have you ever looked at your calendar and said, What's, what has been my motivation? What's motivating me to do the things that I'm doing? See, I believe that the 10% and the 90% are equally important to God because God wants to make us whole people. Now, here is the tricky part. If we are honest, if I'm honest, when I start checking underneath the iceberg, I'm afraid what I'm going to find. Part of me already knows there are things under there that I am not pleased with. Here's what I'm learning more and more as I follow Jesus. Jesus wants what's underneath the iceberg. And to give him access to that is scary. It causes anxiety. But Renaissance, it's necessary. In fact, not only does Jesus want it, but Jesus wants me to have what's underneath the iceberg. That's how you and I will become whole people. See, Jesus' desire for the 90% underneath, the, underneath, underneath my iceberg is not to embarrass me, it's not to hurt me, but to make me whole. When that is settled in my soul, that Jesus is not out to get me, but to make me whole, I engage in spiritual growth so much differently. I'm more open to it. I'm willing to learn and change. But here's the thing. It does not mean it won't hurt or be uncomfortable. Most friction produces growth. Growth is the opposite of comfort. And here's this. Hear this. Jesus' love is confrontational when necessary. But it's not to damage us or to hurt us, but so that we can be made whole in him. Say this with me. Jesus wants to make me whole. whole. See, left to myself, I would just live life on the surface, but you and I run the risk if we do that, living fragmented, compartmentalized lives If we don't get at that 90%, Jesus loves us enough to go there, to help us go there. Why? Because his desire is to make whole people. Now, today, we are going to look at a passage, a gospel account, where Jesus is going to flip the iceberg upside down. He's going to use money as a way to get at this man's 90% to help him explore the 90% of his life. See, Jesus knows if this, miss, if this man and also us, if we never address the 90%, we run the risk of living a surface-level relationship with God and missing out on the things that he invites us into. See, Jesus' encounter with this man, and Mark titles this the rich young ruler, Jesus' encounter with this man will show us just how valuable it is to look underneath the iceberg and show us how destructive it could be if we live the life without exploring what's underneath the iceberg. So to ensure that we don't miss the importance of this scuba dive, I want to go very slow. It's not a bunch of verses. I want to go very slow with this passage today. Amen? Mark 10. 
starting at verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother, he said to him. Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now, this interaction, before we break it all the way down, down, diggy down, Jesus is using money, like I said before, to address the 90% that this man can't see. So don't focus on the giving away of possessions here. As we break it down, I want you to know this. Jesus wants to make whole people. All right, verse 17. Y'all ready? Let's dive in. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, which was not uncommon, Jesus being this new rabbi on the scene, this new teacher on the scene, people were running and flocking to him often. A man ran up to him, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher. I want to pause there really quick. Mark is doing a good job as the gospel account writer here. He wants us to hear, okay, this man is, is calling Jesus a teacher, okay? Nothing wrong with that, but he uses good teacher. And by using good teacher, what Mark is trying to signal is the attitude that this man had while he was approaching Jesus. His attitude was a little casual. See, he probably hadn't had the revelation that Jesus was the invisible image of an invisible God. He probably did not get that revelation from the Holy Spirit, but because he was a practicing Jew... He would have had in his mind already that there's some dope things I already do. So when I go to Jesus, I just need Jesus to tell me one more dope thing that I can add to my already successful life. That's why he calls him good teacher. And this is where we know that because he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, at this time, the culture would have had this prevailing thought that if you were wealthy, then you were close to God. If you were wealthy, then you and God were good because God was clearly blessing you. But Jesus knows that that's not true. And Jesus knows that there's, this man is only sitting on 10% of the surface. There's 90% underneath the surface Jesus has to get at. And so he, when he hears him ask this question, what must I do to inherit, to in, inherit eternal life? Jesus knows that he's looking for more stuff to do. But Renaissance, the truth is, we can't earn our way up the stairway to heaven. Jesus comes down and graciously gives us his life. That's the gospel. Let's keep moving. Verses 19 and 20. You know the commandments. Do not murder. 
Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother, he said to him. Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. I love this. I'm like, man, this dude is bold to say he's kept all of these from his youth, but I get it. And I love Jesus's masterful response to him. See, Jesus meets him exactly where he is. Remember, Jesus knows this man is a Jewish man who grew up in Jewish culture. He would have known the laws of Moses. He would have understood um, to follow all 613 laws would have been the expectation. Jesus knows where his heart is yet. He doesn't try to correct him initially. He meets him exactly where he is. And I want to pause there because I hope... Although we are here at our worship service, I hope the church, as we are dealing and interacting people, we remember one thing. Connection is better than correction. I hope that when we are interacting and having live dialogue with people, that we aren't quick to jump in and correct them and say, oh, yo, what you're doing or how you're living is wrong. What would it look like if you just connected with them first? How much more access to the 90% could you possibly have, church, if we actually believed it's better for me to connect than to correct? And we see Jesus is, is our savior. He's not just a model, but what he's modeling for us in this is a dope way to interact with people, meet them where they are. And who knows? Let the Holy Spirit take over from there. And so Jesus is meeting him where he is. Now, what I also love about this, listen, he says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. And we'll see this, man, this is, this is brilliant. We'll see what Jesus has done is he's only giving him a portion of the core 10 commandments. And he's intentionally now, he's trying to tease out the other 90% that's in this man's, uh, underneath this man's iceberg that he has no idea Jesus is about to get at. And so what he's doing by listing these commandments, he's saying, I know you know these things, but I'm just touching the surface because my next response to you, I'm going to begin to turn that iceberg upside down so we can get at that 90%. Listen to verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Man, I love, 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 love the beginning of this this passage for me, and it hits home every time. Looking at him... Jesus loved him. Can you imagine this gaze? Can you imagine what that gaze looked like? See, I know I can't. Because when I think, when I'm doing something wrong or when I know I'm interacting with someone that's way smarter than me, oftentimes I think that their responses are going to be punitive to me. But here, what Mark is communicating is the gentleness of a savior who wants to make whole people. And so what Mark is saying, when he looked at him, he loved him. Before we get at the things that I know I need to get at in your life, I want you to know you're loved. 
And I know there's somebody in here with a crowd this size and people online. Somebody in here needs to hear Jesus looks at you and he loves you. Despite what you did yesterday, despite how you came into service, despite the fact that your life ain't mathing right now, Jesus looks at you and he loves you. Yeah, that's the truth of the gospel. And I just want you this week, if you could do me this solid, I want you to think about that gaze. This week, I want you to try to picture Jesus looking at you before he's about to get at all the stuff, but he looks at you and loves you. What would that gaze look like? How would you feel? I would imagine it would change how you respond. So looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. And so listen, we know Jesus' love is confrontational. See, all right, Shawana, who works here, shout out to Shawana, yes, no doubt. She's like a daughter to me, and I remember some years ago where she confronted me, and I'm, I'm looking away because it was a real confrontation. If you know Shawana, the, she was confronting me. She wanted to make sure I never forgot it. So much so, I'm preaching on it now. But Shawana felt like there were some things unintentionally that I had done or some, some gaps in our relationship that she was feeling, and she brought them to me, and she confronted me directly and gently. And you know what I've concluded at the end of that experience? I concluded that she actually really loves me because Real love confronts when necessary. And so, Renaissance, I want you to hear, Jesus looks at you and loves you. And because he does, the one who loves you is requesting that there's something more he has to get at in your life. And he's doing it because he loves you. The reason your life may be upending right now and the 90% Jesus might be trying to get at is because he loves you. But he won't leave you in that space. He has to confront the things in your life that have become obstacles for you being with him. Because he wants whole people. Dominique Dawes was a whole person. Luke was a whole person. The iceberg is all one chunk of ice. The fact that you can only see the 10% doesn't mean you could determine exactly what the iceberg is just by that 10%. That's why Jesus gets at the other 90% in our life. See, Jesus' love comes along with gentle confrontation. And how do we know Jesus' love is confrontational? Because he doesn't stop with just looking at him with a gaze of love. He tells him there's one thing he lacked. So what was it? What did, did, this, what did this man lack? Well, remember when I said that what Jesus was getting, when Jesus listed those commandments, what he was talking about was everything that was external facing. The first commandment, the, the, the greatest one, the biggest one, the one that this man had not been paying attention to because of uh, the, the iceberg underneath, the 90% underneath that he had yet to explore, 
This man was breaking this commandment that we see in Exodus 20, verse 3. Do not have other gods besides me. The man made his possessions God, and he never noticed because it was a part of that 90% underneath the iceberg. Renaissance, what possessions have you made God? What, what things in your life have you removed God away from and substituted in its place? I know for, for me, I'll jump on the sword and be very honest. When I think of security, I often try to put myself there and say, I'm going to be the one that secures me and my family. I'm the one who has to make sure everything is right, financially, emotionally, spiritually. And that's exhausting because I can't. I can't be the sole one to make everything secure. And I have to remember that the commandment that I'm breaking in this thing, the one thing I lack is trusting in God for the security of my life. This man had made his possessions his security. But Jesus wants to make him whole. Verse 22 But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And I think about that. I'm like, I'm sure it pained Jesus' heart to watch this man turn around and walk away. His desire was to make him whole. Imagine this with me, Renaissance. His desire was to come. He came to him. His desire was to make him whole, knowing that he had to get at some tender parts of his life. He had to really try to unearth the other 90%, yet this man walked away sad because his possessions were his God. And so here's what I want you to take away from the passage. I was going to say a couple other things, but this is the thing I want you to take away from this passage. I believe Jesus is getting at the idols in our life. Jesus is getting at the idols in our life. And sometimes, and, and, and idols are, it's not a, you know, it's not an inherently Christian word, essentially. But idols in the Christian context mean uh, we have taken something else and put it in God's place. Tim Keller says this in his book, Counterfeit God's. He defines idols, and I think it's helpful. He said, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. When Jesus turns over the iceberg in our hearts, it's because he wants to make us whole. I love how the Bible, when it talks about uh, uh, another way to think about how Jesus felt in this interaction, all throughout the Bible, it uses language of a lover being cheated on. God feels like a lover being cheated on. When we give ourselves and our imaginations and our affections to idols, we are cheating on God. Renaissance, what's the one thing you lack? What do you need to give away? Maybe for you, it's not emptying out crypto to support a nonprofit. Maybe that's not it for you. Maybe it's a relationship 
Because God's unearthing that other 90% and you have to step away from it. Maybe, maybe you need to give away uh, the, the fact that your, your ambitions and your desires are leading you towards the things that God doesn't have for your life. What have you put in God's place? This week, man, I want you to spend some time scuba diving, thinking about Jesus' gauge and addressing the 90% underneath the iceberg. Now, to help us do that, I want to close with a prayer. Jonathan McReynolds has a song um, called Make Room. Oh, yeah, we got some snaps. Y'all know if I could sing, I'll turn, this, I'll turn up right now. JT, I will turn up right now. You can move that over. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. But I do want you to hear the words to this song. I find space for what I treasure. I make time for what I want. Oh, Lord, help me want you more. I choose my priorities. Jesus, you're my number one. Man, Lord, I want that to be true. I don't want to be fake or phony. I want to be a whole person who believes that that's true. You are my number one. Then he says, so I will make room for you. I will prepare for two. So you don't feel that you can't live here. Please live in me. And then there's a, a tag to this song this, where, where he goes off and he says this line. He says, you can move that over. And I love how that's powerful because I don't want you leaving today's worship experience thinking that you could move over the idols in your life by yourself. You cannot. If you could, you would. But what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to flip over that iceberg and start chiseling away at that 90%. And so I want you to do this with me by way of prayer. I want you to say, you can move that over. And then I'm going to add some things, but I don't want you to repeat what I'm adding. I only want you to say, you could move that over. Say that with me. Say, you could move that over. Say it again. Say, you could move that over. My will. My ego. My habits. My attitude. My friends. My family. My relationships. My Instagram time. See, whatever it is, he says as he's singing. Huh? Y'all better sing. Whatever it is, he says, you can move that over. Whatever is keeping me from you, you can move that over. I want that to be your prayer this week. Let me pray. Daddy, it's true, we have idols that we have 
and subtly things have crept into our hearts that become obstacles from us loving you and being whole people. God, with all power and grace, we ask you, could you move those over? It will take courage, but could you move that over? We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.